Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Before I became a priest, I taught philosophy in community colleges and graduate school, and I would do a subject every time, no matter what class I was teaching, just about. I mean, I was always teaching ethics, intro to philosophy, and logic. Not so much with logic, but with ethics, intro to philosophy, I'd always do a section on religion. And uh, most of the time in philosophy classes, when they talk about religion, they're talking about like arguments for God's existence and such. That wasn't very interesting to me. But what was, was trying to explain what religious belief is actually about. And think about that from a philosophical perspective. One thing that I always try to say uh, to reorient a lot of the students who were very familiar with religion, but not really about thinking about its kind of philosophical fundamental principles, is to tell them that Israel literally translates to a people, Israelite, a people who wrestle with God. Israelite, it's a people who wrestle with God. And of course, that name comes from when Jacob was like literally wrestling an angel and uh, afterwards thought uh, that he was wrestling with God. That became, so renamed him um, to Israel. That became their central identity. So often in a kind of religious discourse, we think, some of us, um, this was very compelling to me for a long time, um, think once you're in, you're in, and you got to figure it out. The image that we have of Scripture is uh, people who wrestle with God. Process, process, process. We're always changing. Pray, pray, pray. Jesus always commands us to pray. Pray every day. Why? Because faith is something we do not once but again and again and again. And one of the students uh, was like, not really frustrated, but kind of like, kind of teasing and joking. Um, and this person said like, okay, great. You know, change, 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 process, 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 fine. Will you just tell us a couple of things that we're supposed to do if we're, if we're going to be Christians? You know, like, can you give us at least one straight answer, you know? And I uh, really appreciate that. The difficulty is, I was reading recently this quote from John Donne. Um, it's both the difficulty, it's the gift and the curse of being human. John Donne said that to be human means that we are born creatures transformable. We are born creatures transformable. Today, in the next service at the 9 o'clock, we are doing this rite called Rite 13. How many of you are familiar with Rite 13? Okay, most everyone. If you haven't read through that service, um, pick up the next bulletin on your way out and read it. It's uh, really remarkable. And if you have read it before, read it again uh, to refresh. We are walking through these um, teenagers who are mostly 
12 and 13 um, through the process of transformation. It's literally what we name in this service, transformation. Jesus deals with this in all sorts of ways. Um, One of the things that Jesus is most concerned about to point out again and again through the Gospels is that it doesn't matter that you look religious, right? Um, The Pharisees, the scribes, just the religious leaders, the priests, they wore the right clothes. They knew the right prayers. And yet he called them whitewashed tombs. Pretty on the outside, dead on the inside. Why? Because they had forgotten the true matters of justice. They had left out the widow, the orphan. They had not lived lives of forgiveness and mercy. They loved the outside structure of religion, but it hadn't come deep within them. So this is why Jesus talks so much about transformation. When he tries to boil it down, he says things like in Mark, um, the, the people who were around him said, you know, well, like, who's your family? And Jesus said, my family's not the people that I was born to people that I am kind of tribalistically related to. Whoever does the will of God is my sister and brother and mother. It's like this totally revolutionary idea, right? To identify our kin, to identify our family, not by tribalistic allegiances, but by this common pursuit of life with God. Okay, that life with God is always changing, is always in process. Um, We are always becoming Christians instead of being simply born them. Now, what does it have to do with John? What's really interesting about the Gospel of John is that John does something that's hard and uncomfortable for us, in that he talks in very dualistic terms. Um, Good versus evil, light versus darkness. And that's hard to hear. In this today's scripture, we've got uh, Jesus as just so interesting, something I would love to just sit down and talk and hear what these images provoke in you. He calls himself the gate, (laughs) you know, Jesus as the gate, what's going on there? Um, But another image that we're more familiar with is Jesus as the good shepherd. And again, in a very dualistic imagery, it's Jesus versus the bandits. Um, his true sheep, or the true sheep, the sheep know the shepherd's voice and won't be let off by bandits. And that can seem like, uh, what, what's going on there? It feels very tribalistic, which is just what I was saying the gospel is against. Um, let me suggest just a couple of things about that. Shepherds, uh, In ancient Palestine, the sheep were not sources of food. They were used um, for their—they were kept and um, maintained for the the wool. And so, you know, they'd be shaved at the end of each season. So the shepherds would have long-standing relationships with the sheep. Um, They would literally have names for each sheep. 
because they knew them for a long time. And uh, you know, it was a nomadic way of uh, having a job. So they would you know, literally roam around looking for green pastures for the sheep to eat. And at night, that's when the sheep were the most um, in danger. Oftentimes, what a shepherd would do is find a small enclosure in the side of a cliff or a hill where the <clears throat> he would set himself up. So let's say you know, this is like the cliff, and there's this little kind of opening towards it so there, the, the wolves and other wild animals couldn't get in behind. The shepherd would put himself or probably himself, himself or herself, right here at the gate of the entrance, have the sheep come through it, and as they were coming through, the shepherd would feel for injury, illness. The sheep would pass through the gate. That gate is Jesus. But notice how it ends. The dualistic tension in John isn't between um, Christians and isn't between Episcopalians and Presbyterians or Muslims and Jews or Jews and Christians. It is between just like in Mark. I'm going to read it exact. Just as in Mark, Jesus says, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus says, the thief, the powers of darkness, they come to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and to have it abundantly. What we're involved in this religious process is celebrating that life. We know that to truly live means to wake up each day, ask God to come into our presence so that we may see where is the Spirit moving? What does it mean to live lives of justice today? Kierkegaard says the idea of progress is a myth. He means it in one very narrow sense. Every generation must decide to bring God's presence into the world. We do it differently each time, seeing the needs that are around us. So we pray to God that we may be God's hand and feet and bodies in this world. So I will turn to the children at this moment and I will say to them, show us how to live. You will teach us what it means to be the body of Christ through your eyes and through your witness. God will be reborn in our midst. But I am sensitive to that philosophy student 
who at the end of all that says, just give me one concrete thing to do. All right, here's my plan. My plan is to sing at the end of the sermon, okay? So we're going to test out, you all are my hardest, uh, the hardest crowd to sing, and if it can work now, it will work later, okay? Um, what, uh, the, the, that single thing, that one concrete, here's what to do, is something that is testified from the beginning of scriptures to the end. It's expressed in various ways. My favorite is in Micah chapter 6, and I know it through song. Mic on or mic off? Let's just try the mic on. It's a call and response. He has shown thee, he has shown thee, O child, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee. What is good and what the Lord requires of thee. But to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. To walk humbly. All right, we're going to do call and response for the first half, and then we're going to get together in the second. Call and response. He has shown thee. Oh, child, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee? And together, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. 